0: So good to see you today, uh, he is a, a poet, a writer, and I would encourage you if you ever have an opportunity to buy one of his books or download one of his CDs, you will be blessed. We had him in concert at Natchez twice, and such a humble and uh, a great man of God. And I want to thank you guys for allowing me to be here today. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you. I went from this, to that, to this, to that, and I just started thinking about my good friend, Sean Parker, and uh, I was on the search committee that helped bring Dr. Parker here, and I would say that that search committee knocked it out of the park, would you not agree with that? Uh, Sean, uh, in his first five or six months has gone through a flag controversy, a pandemic, uh, racial tension, uh, steamy election. I can hardly wait to see what you're going to do in your second no, It's going to be absolutely amazing. But I was thinking about where we are in our culture. Last night I was driving from Columbus to Clinton. So I just to spend the night and have an opportunity to see my, my grandson a little bit last night before he went to bed. And I talked to two different people to some friends of mine on the phone one of them is a, a businessman in louisville kentucky and it's pronounced louisville kentucky it's not louisville kentucky and it's not louisville kentucky it's louisville he's a business owner i worked for him while i was in seminary and i just called to ask him how he was doing he had to close his shop yesterday at uh, three o'clock because of the rioting and the unrest is there in that city and we all watch the images every day and it becomes tiresome at times and we all feel a little worn out and then last night i was talking to a dear friend she had texted me and wanted to know about my new grandson you know how how much did he weigh how 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 long was he what what did they name and what are they gonna call him and so i called her and then that conversation went to the climate of what's going on in, in our nation And I don't know about you, but there are times when I wish that I could just get away. Uh, I would like to get away and just not have to think about it, not even have to, I hate to say this, not even have to pray about it. When I say it, it's all this unsettledness in our country. And it's bleeding into the churches as well. Uh, When this pandemic hit, I made a prediction, and it wasn't a prediction that I was hoping would come true. I just... Saw this and that it's going to take place. I said, you're going to see people that are going to walk away from the medical field. Uh, Nurses and doctors, they're going to say, this has been too much. And we've already started seeing that. And I said, we're going to lose a lot of ministers as well. Because if you don't adapt and learn how to do ministry differently, then you won't make it in this climate. And so I find myself sometimes singing with Linda Ronstadt, poor, poor, pitiful me. And then I have to be reminded that I don't need to take myself quite so seriously. I need to take the situation seriously, but not myself. Proverbs 17:22 says, a merry heart is like good medicine, or laughter is like good medicine. A broken spirit, though, crushes the bones. I want you to think about laughter just for a moment. we're, We're almost afraid to laugh now because we don't know if we laugh if it's going to be politically correct. We don't know if we're going to offend somebody. So there are just a lot of mad and unhappy people in our country, and they're in our churches. And I just decided that I just wanted to encourage you today. I just wanted to bring you a word of encouragement. You were special to me. Mississippi Baptist is special to me. I was Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, i will be Baptist dead. And I, my, my dad was uh, the chair of the executive committee years ago. He was on the board. He, he served as first vice president of the convention. So I, I, I've been a part of convention life for as long as I can remember. And I always enjoy coming here and being with you. But sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a little intimidating, especially when you have to preach in front of the 100-member board. I've had that opportunity a few times. And it can be a little overwhelming. And even coming here with with you guys who are are, are around church work and doing the Lord's business, it can be a little bit intimidating. But I have preached in some intimidating environments before. Uh, Just last year, I preached at my 40th high school class reunion. Part of that weekend was they they got a church in the city that would allow us to come in there. Pastor didn't know me. And I got to preach to my classmates. That was intimidating. I want to tell you because they knew me before I was a preacher, and I had to always give a disclaimer. I wasn't always a preacher. And they remember some of those things. You know, I've done trial sermons. Intimidating. But there is nothing more intimidating than preaching in preaching class in seminary. If you you never experienced it, back in 1986, when I was at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, this is how it would take place. You would come into the classroom on your day to preach, and you could pick out any subject that you wanted. You could do a revival service. You could do... uh, a funeral, You could do a wedding. You could do whatever you wanted to. And they would film you. And then later on, you had to set up a time with your professor to watch yourself, and he would grade you. All of the students, all of the students in that classroom had an evaluation sheet. And the minute that you started talking, they would start writing. And you're like, not having said anything. And we had that one guy in our class. You could grade people on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest. Nobody in Michael's evaluations ever got over a 6, ever. And we had some really good sermons, but Michael, he was just one of those guys that was tough, and he, he would really just critique you to death. Because after you preached, you sat down, and the students in the room talked to you. What they liked, what they didn't like. And he never had anything positive to say. I couldn't wait till it was his turn. <laughs> I could not wait. And, and so he got up to preach on his day. And he had to write on the blackboard the setting. And he wrote on there, Youth Revival. And the title of his sermon was Dealing with Sexual Immorality. now when you're preaching you have to be careful what you say your tongue can get wrapped around your eye teeth and you won't see what you're saying I mean it it, it can happen that fast and you can go from having a dynamic message to, to just crashing and burning real quick well Michael preached an entire sermon not on sexual immorality but he preached an entire sermon on sexual immortality. <laughs> and, and Michael kept asking the question over and over, who wants sexual immorality? Oh, I mean, immortality, and we were like, I'm yeah, pretty good with that. And so when he finished preaching, our preaching professor, Dr. Luther Joe Thompson, who was a former pastor at Calvary Baptist in the day, Calvary Baptist was the largest church in the state of Mississippi. He just looked at him and said, Michael, you just have to be careful what you say. He said, I think you meant to say immorality, but for a whole sermon you preached on sexual immortality. You see those three guys back there, and he pointed to my group. He said, I'm sure if you would have given an invitation, they would have walked the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked back. You can kind of you can kind of laugh at that. It, it, it's 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 a it's a funny situation, but I'm sure to this day he remembers that because I remember it. I want to tell you about my first wedding. I was pastoring a church in Sparta, Kentucky, and it was about an hour's drive from uh, Lowell And we would always drive up on Saturday night. They had an apartment attached to the uh, church, and we would stay in that apartment. And I preached the next day. I had one deacon. uh, Let's see. uh, Ken Lafferty. Ken was single and he had finally found the girl. Finally found the girl. I had never done a wedding before. And this was my first wedding. Normally we would run about 50 in worship service. And that was pretty big for a student pastor back then. And when Ken got engaged... He came and told me, he said, that wedding will be the largest crowd that we've ever had in this sanctuary. And, and he wasn't lying. People have been praying for Ken to find the right person, and he was just one of those great guys. And I, I called my dad and said, you know, how do you do this? You know, tell me, tell me what I need to do. And
1: so we rehearsed the night
0: before. And I never will forget. I learned a very valuable lesson that I I used to this day. Now, when the bride-to-be came down the aisle, now, what I'm telling you folks, these are actual stories. I, I, I couldn't make this up. When the bride came down the aisle with her dad, I'm there to ask the question, who gives this woman to be married? And you know, his reply is always her mother and I. Then he kisses her, then he goes and sits down. First wedding, first year in seminary, she was wearing one of those dresses that just was a halter top, no straps, no nothing. And Greg, to this day, I make a point to tell the father who's given the bride away to not step on her dress. And I always tell the groom and the bride, wait till I nod for you to come up. For none of those things took place in that way. This is what happened. She's got her back to the congregation. And I'm here, and bridesmaids are up there. She takes a step up, and her daddy steps on her dress. Pulling the dress down to here. My wife is seated out there. And I'm thinking, what do you do? What do you do? Don, you know what I did? I said, do not look up. Do not look up. But I have to hand it to her. I was told later because I wasn't watching she put herself back together with one hand and never gave up the bouquet. That's resiliency, isn't it? But to this day, it's changed everything that I do about weddings. And I've had some experiences in funerals as well. Do y'all remember Dr. CZ Holland? Do you remember Dr. Holland? Dr. Holland was former pastor at First Baptist Church in Kent, Mississippi. He was there during the Depression during World War II. He was the most beloved pastor that was ever there. Marcus, you probably have heard stories about Dr. Holland. Let me describe Dr. Holland. When I was in in, uh, Kent, Dr. Holland was 92, 93 years of age. Always wore a black suit with a tie that had food stains on it. White hair that was just as bushy, was just a little disheveled a little bit, and he, he looked like Albert Einstein a little bit, but he was brilliant, and he would come up to Canton every Thursday and go to Rotary Club with his good friend, Fred Edwards, and every now and then some of the older people in our congregation, when they would pass away, their family would ask Dr. Holland to come and assist in the funeral. Miss Fancher was 98 years old when she passed away. and. The family came to me. She had been homebound since I'd been there and said, we're going to ask Dr. Holland to do the the memorial service. Do do you mind? I said, no, I don't mind. Funeral homes were located right across the street uh, from the church. So about 30 minutes prior to the funeral, I put on my coat, walked across, didn't take a Bible or anything, went talked with the family, told them I'd be praying for them. And I went and sat down in the chapel. And I noticed at the given time, 11 o'clock, they weren't starting. And about that time, Alex Breland, the funeral director, tapped me on the shoulder. And I said, yes. He goes, the family would like to see you. Okay. So I walked back there. And they said, uh, Dr. Holland didn't show up. Can you do the service? And I didn't have a Bible. I didn't have anything. I was supposed to be sitting out there. And I looked at Alex Brayley. I said, Do you have a Gideon Bible or anything? He said, Yeah, I think we have one. So he went and got me a Bible. He said, There's going to be one song before you preach. And uh, then you got it. I said, Okay. I said, If Dr. Holland comes in, please bring him up here. I don't want to take his time. And I never will forget. He didn't go. He didn't come till the end of the service, and I muttered through that. And it was, it was it was awful. Probably the worst funeral service I've ever done, but we made it through. Dr. Holland came in 30 minutes late. He thought the funeral was at 1130. Now, this is in July. You know how hot it is in Mississippi, the month of July. We go out to the cemetery, and Dr. Holland says this, I want to apologize to the family uh, for being late, and I want to thank Brother Bill for stepping in and doing such a marvelous job, which I knew he was lying in, doing such a marvelous job with the uh, service. What I was going to say then, I'll just say now. And we're thinking, oh, my goodness. Now, his buddy, Fred Edwards, 92, 93, is standing over here, and Mr. Fred And Mr. Dr. Holland, they go to Rotary in Canton every Thursday. Anyway, Dr. Holland started talking. And he started talking. And he started talking. And he kept talking. And we were melting. And he was about ten minutes into that homily. You can ask the Vancher family. They'll they'll, They'll tell you this is a true story. Right in the middle of his homily, Mr. Fred, his buddy, steps under the tent and takes him by the arm, and in front of everybody, just says, "We sure have missed you at Rotary the last couple of weeks." <laughs> now, the pallbearers didn't—they didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do, and, and, and we're thinking, "Mr. Fred has lost it." I mean, what? Who does that? Who does that? And Dr. Holland said, that's uh, my friend Fred's way of saying I need to shut it down. So that, that let's have a word of prayer. And so he prays. I'm not finished. Um, we're, we're all just sweating, and he prays, and we tell the family how much we love and appreciate him. And then I get back to my office, and I'm telling my assistants what happened. You're not going to believe what happened. And so I'm telling him the story, and about that time, the phone rings. And uh, my assistant says, uh, Brother Bill, it's uh, Mr. Edwards. Uh, he wants to talk to you. And I got on the phone. I said, Mr. Edwards? He said, y- yep, this is me. He said, Pastor, I want to apologize. He said, somebody had to shut him up or we'd still be out there. <laughs> so he knew exactly what he was doing all these stories throughout my life I just seemed to kind of be in the middle of it we had a had a man in our church who had uh, passed away on a Saturday first time I've ever seen this done maybe y'all have seen it passed away Saturday morning they had him ready to go on Saturday evening for visitation I, I had never seen a body get prepared that fast we were planning to go to the Reba McIntyre concert at the uh, Coliseum, my wife and I and Robert and Pat Filgo, and we were going go to go eat a steak and ale, and we decided we'd go by visitation first. Pat Filgo, if you ever had an opportunity to meet her, she is, she is just one of the funniest ladies. She was our pianist. And Pat has a great sense of humor, but sometimes Pat doesn't know when to laugh and when not to laugh. And... Uh, you know, you, you go up to the, the grieving widow and the family, and, and I don't know why we always think we have to say something. You know, sorry for your loss. Well, if they're Christians, they're not lost. We know exactly where they are. You know, heaven needed a new angel. You know, there's no indication that we're going to become an angels. You know, we just say dumb things, you know. And so I want you to picture this the widow Cleo is here, I'm here. Pat Philgoe is here. And we're looking at this deceased. And the widow looks at me and says, he looks like he could talk. Doesn't he? And just in one of those moments, where you're just really not really sure if you need to say something or not, I didn't say it to her. I just looked at Pat and said, if he does, the window is mine. Well, Pat got so tickled that she snorted. And when she snorted, she ruptured a blood vessel in her nose. To which she had to go out and take care of herself. Now, when we finish and we get in the car, Pat Philgo grabs my neck and says, If you ever do anything like that to me again, I will kill you but sometimes we have to lighten up to loosen up. We need to check up from the neck up, as my friend says. And sometimes we just need to laugh and we just need to enjoy our time. Uh, I know these are difficult days. And I have people all the time that will ask me, does God make a difference? Does He really make a difference? And, and we know that our God is a good God and He loves us and provides for our every need. But I go back to a story that I read many years ago. Uh, John Claypool told this story. Dr. Claypool was pastor at uh, Crescent Hill Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and then he was pastor at Northminster for many years. One of the greatest minds and one of the just truly great biblical scholars that I'd ever known. He had a daughter that died of leukemia. And uh, she was probably about five or six years old when she passed away, and they were in Louisville at that time. And a friend of his came up to him and said this. After his daughter passed away. He said, John, when the chips are really down, does God make a difference? Claypool stood there for a moment, and he said, you know that passage of Scripture in Isaiah? Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. He said, I don't ever remember mounting up with wings like eagles. I didn't run a step. As a matter of fact, I didn't even walk. But strength was given to stand. And that same strength will be given to you and me at this time. But isn't it a comfort to know that when we stand, we never stand alone? There's always a presence with us. Don't be surprised at what you see on TV. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Sean, this past Sunday, just had one of those moments because pastoring during a pandemic is not easy. It's not. It's like doing this. And you don't know a whole lot about Columbus. Sean knows a great deal about Columbus. He knows where my church is located. And God revealed something to me. Slater, you know too because you were over at you for so many years. I was sitting on the stage and i looked at our praise team we don't have our choir back we just have a praise team and i looked two african americans leaving us in worship one asian two whites and i thought in the middle of a pandemic God has used this time to raise this church and to do things they never thought they would do. God's still working. That beautiful sermon that Billy Graham preached on Habakkuk, you ought have YouTube it sometimes when he said, Habakkuk, I told you what I was doing. you never believed it. He's still on the throne and he's still working. And after November, he'll still be on the throne. And he'll still be working. I, I just hope we were here to encourage you a little bit. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate all of you because I know what you do behind the scenes. And you're constantly in our prayers. And I want to just pray for you now if you'd allow me to. Lord, I thank you today that you love us with a never ending love. We can laugh and be lighthearted, but then we can come right back and realize that you're going to see us through this. What caught us by surprise did not catch you by surprise. And I just ask your blessings on those who are working diligently here, that we can keep affecting not just our state, but our world, Christ. I thank you for Dr. Parker for bringing him here. I ask your anointing upon him as he leads this convention. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that in good leadership, there would be good followship. That He would follow you, and we would follow Him. I thank You for our time together today. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen.